You're listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast from the Western Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship, powered by Ivy. In this series, Ivy Entrepreneur and Ivy faculty member Eric Jansen will anchor the session. I've spent the last few months asking hundreds of individual contributors, managers, entrepreneurs, what the top skills to be teaching young people are and how we should be teaching them. And the answer has come back resoundingly how to deal with rejection and resilience. Today's conversation is with Ben Varadi, who's the co-founder and chief creative officer of Spinmaster Toys, today a publicly traded company with a market cap north of $4 billion. With 1,600 employees globally, they're well known for toys like Etch-A-Sketch, Air Hogs, Paw Patrol, Rubik's Cube, and Bakugan. And with more nominations for innovative toys than any other toy company in the world, the creative mind behind all of this is Ben Varadi. Now, You'd think that someone who's won the E&Y Entrepreneur of the Year Award and featured as a top 40 under 40 executive is an odd choice for the topic of resilience given the crazy rise of Spin Master Toys, but every single story has its dark corners that we're going to dig into today. So in this episode, Ben shares his story of how he got started at Spin Master and highlights not just his successes, but also his failures along the way, including how he lost $100 million. Ben shares his lessons on failing well and how to develop resilience. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed having it. Please enjoy this conversation with Spin Master Toys CCO, Ben Varadi. The Ben Varadi action figure superpowers aren't limited to building successful companies. He can also shred guitar and piano. Top it off, the Ben action figure wins Entrepreneur of the Year for PY in 1999 and Top 40 under 40 executive for his amazing achievements. Get yours now, they're flying off the shelves around the world. Come to the show, each sold separately, batteries not included. What do you think, Ben? I love it, it's great. Thank you so much. That was an exact replica of my life. Is that exactly how it went? Exactly like that. <laughs> I love when the teams take a little bit of a risk and read the crowd a little bit. I think they they pegged you as a guy who wouldn't mind a fun video. So nice work, team. No, Battery sold sure. separately. Thank you so much. Thank you. Where do we find you, Ben? Where are you today? I'm in the basement, uh, 20 feet below. I'm in uh, my studio. Um, yeah, a little bit of music on the side. I, uh, I got a bunch of keyboards there designed to hold up garbage bags. That's, uh, <laughs> that's basically, that's how it goes. A lot of, uh, synthesizers and stuff. I just, you know, collect for fun and play for fun. It's always, always been a good outlet for me since I was a little kid. That is awesome. Yeah. Rarely, rarely, you know, on video, do I find someone that out that outdoes my basement setup, but like you are, <laughs> you win, you win this game. Well, the good news, I don't have to change my background, right? I see all these people have these creative backgrounds. So I, I just, this is my background. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you joining us, Ben. Thank you so much for the time. I know the group is really excited. Um, I'm excited. I think your, your company and your toys have been a part of me growing up. I think about the devil sticks that still sit at my cottage, the beat up air hogs toys, the stretch Armstrong that, you know, I busted apart when I was a kid eventually. Like these are the toys that defined me growing up. So it's, I, busted it's, apart, I busted apart a stretch Armstrong too. So I, I played with it also. Yeah. Oh yeah. I played it out. It wasn't a defect. I, I played yeah. with it until it broke. Yeah. You know what it is inside? No, it's corn syrup. Oh, 
that's what's interesting. inside Stretch Armstrong. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, well, hey, one of your students has snuck in there. Anu, I know you. You're not a student. Although I never would have guessed you look exactly like one. Thank you. <laughs> I'm here for your support. Thanks, Manu. I need it. I need it. I see a lot of faces here. Yeah, we've got 62. This is arguably, I say, the most entrepreneurial group at Ivy. So these are students that, uh, you know, have ambitions of either starting a company right out of school or, or are probably the ones that are going to do it one day. So this is this is the audience that you've got today. Wow, that's perfect. That's, per yeah. that's my kind of audience. So help us rewind, Ben. When you were in HBA2, sitting where these students were today, where were you at? Where was your head at? What were you up to? Uh, well, it was, uh, are you guys first or second year? Second year. Second year. Okay. So um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, uh, I really had no idea. And I, and I was interviewing in a whole bunch of different places. So I interviewed at Bain and I interviewed, uh, I remember they asked me uh, how many chocolate chips, or they, they asked me how many elevators were in the city of, of Toronto. And, uh, and I said, well, I just call city planning and ask. And the interview ended. Um, and, uh, and I interviewed at, uh, what's that big advertising firm? Um, uh, out of Chicago. What are they called? Uh, I don't even remember. Leo Burnett. Leo Burnett. Okay. I did 18 interviews with Leo Burnett and they didn't hire me at the end. They, they said, and I phoned them and I said, well, why didn't you guys hire me? And they said, because we felt you were too unorthodox. And I said, well, it, aren't you supposed to be unorthodox for advertising? And they said, not on the account side. So, uh, so that ended that. And so when I graduated Ivy, I really didn't have a job. And then I got called by uh, merchant banking. Uh, one of the Canadian banks called me to come and interview at the uh, merchant banking division. I asked what was merchant banking and that interview ended. So I really, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have a lot of, I mean, I could have taken something, I could have got something, but I, I really came out not knowing what I wanted to do. And I wasn't that stressed about it because uh, I got a great education and um, I figured eventually something would line up. And I did sort of think that I would ultimately end up doing something on my own. So, that, so that's where I was. So if some of you don't have any idea of what you want to do, I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Because things, uh, so how did you originally, was it uh, Anton and Ronan who approached you? Did you guys know each other from before? How did that moment, well, I, the first I, connection happen? I didn't know Renan. Uh, I met Anton in business school. So him and I both went to, uh, at that time it was called, I don't think it was called Ivy, right? It was just called the, the Western Business School. Uh, and um, so Anton, Anton and I met each other and we became friends at business school. And then after business school, he said to me, will you, uh, Renan and I are doing something, will you come and be a part of it? So I did. And, uh, and I ran manufacturing for the earth, but I didn't know anything about manufacturing, less than zero. And I had an amazing ops teacher at, West, at Western, his name was Burt Wood. And he was, uh, I don't know if you ever met him, Eric. He was an incredible oh. guy. I sat in the back row and he spoke very quietly. I didn't hear a word he said all year. <laughs> I thought he was great. And uh, he was like a classic Western guy, you know, Harvard graduate. And he, he sort of mumbled and he retired my last year. So he was already like 75. Okay. Anyway, um, I knew nothing about ops and I went in and um, I was running the factory and we were hiring at that time, the Ontario government had a program where you could hire unemployed people um, or people in homeless shelters for something like $3 an hour and they would pay the rest up to minimum wage. So we hired a whole bunch of homeless people and uh, 
And I remember I was really drowning. The thing took off and we'd never ordered supplies before. I mean, I knew sort of like basic terms that I'd learned in business school, like, you know, whip and, uh, and raw materials and all that kind of stuff and finished goods. But basically we didn't really know what we were doing and I really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, one day, um, and the funniest thing is we had these different stations that made Earth Buddies. So the first thing is you would take the hosiery, you'd put the sawdust in the hosiery, then you'd actually, the first thing at the beginning is you would cut up the hosiery because it was actually still in pantyhose form. So you'd have to cut off the underwear and then cut the legs into five body, you know, it, the, the leg would cut into five parts that made one, that made five bodies, five Earth Buddies. So we took that and then that would go to the sawdust station you put the sawdust in, tie it up. Then it would go to have it formed. So they'd make the nose and then it would go in it. So it would go from station to station. And the funniest thing is we didn't have any suppliers. So the line was constantly shutting down. So like, for example, the eyes would, we ran out of glue. And so I would have to like drive to the local hardware store and say, I'll take everything you got. So it was, it was quite an adventure. And one day this homeless man knocked on my door and said, I can see you're having some problems. And uh, I'm happy to help you. And it turns out he was 50 years old, huge guy, you know, half a mouthful of teeth. And, uh, and he said, I worked in manufacturing and he ended up really being my savior. His name was Bob and Bob fully understood the manufacturing process. And he like, I came in the next morning. I didn't have any, I just said, sure, you can help me. I came the next morning, he had charts all over the walls for each station outlining the work and process when our raw materials were gonna run out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so that was sort of like we got up and running and then we slowly built up to being able to do, um, we went from making, you know, 60 units on our first day or 50 or 10, I don't even remember, to over 20,000 in a 24 hour period, all in downtown Toronto, in a, in a warehouse space in downtown Toronto, because you can't wow. even imagine doing that today. No. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So like that was the first, if that was a little side hustle, um, that was, that was a successful side hustle. 1.5 million. Like it was, it, it really was. I, I think, yeah, I think 1.5 million is probably right. The big order was for Kmart for 500,000 pieces. And then what happened to me in my life is I, it was such a wild ride. And, and at the end of earth buddy, I was so tired. I remember on, on one of the last days we had to lay off a whole bunch of people because as quickly as it, took off it ended and so I then went with a friend and I worked on he said there's this thing called the internet and we should do something in it so so we then went it went into the internet our name at that time was called creativeonline.com like it was so easy to get a name you pick any two words you wanted and um and I discovered after nine months we sold our company which and it wasn't worth anything and we still sold it that's how even at that time the area was really taking off and uh and I didn't really understand it and I didn't like it. And, and uh, the funny thing, I always joke to him because I still talk to him is we could have done anything and we didn't do anything, right? <laughs> it's kind of, it's like, it goes to show you, you know, you can have success over here, don't have success over here, start over here, fail, start over here, have some success. So that's a little bit of the journey. And then Anton and Renan said, well, we'd love you to come back. And so I then went back and, uh, and we just sort of started into toys, which is a whole other story. Yeah. And so um, we've had 
we've had a lot of awesome speakers come in and guests come in and share with us their stories and uh, no shortage of success stories. And the, the, the group circulated your bio in advance. And so we have, a, we have a pretty good idea. We'll get into it later. We have a pretty good idea of some of the wins associated with the company. Um, but I'd love to right off the bat, get into failure because yeah. this is like every single year across all of the entrepreneurship classes, the things that students want to hear more about is failure. Tell me about the fails. So yeah, I, I any like great. epic ones, any epic ones come to mind? We've been massive failures. <laughs> Spill it. We've had some massive failures. Um, the funniest thing, I'll give you guys a real good one. So in 2000, when was the, when was the meltdown? 2010? Yeah, 2009, 2000, 2009. So we sailed through 2009, 2010 with a huge success because that's when we launched Bakugan. So it took us 15 years to have our overnight success. So we finally had like a real runner. And in 2011, we, we basically took $100 million, tore it up into single dollar bills and threw it into the sewer. <laughs> So, and that, and so that year we had to write a check back to the bank personally to, to sort of guarantee the loans that we had. So what happened? So, uh, we grew too fast and we, we didn't watch all the signs. And I, I think we were drinking the Kool-Aid of our success. And uh, so we had this huge um, success when the world was crumbling. We didn't invest the money well, we invested the money badly and we hired too many people too quickly and we took some bad bets and we lost a hundred million bucks. Wow, so massive cash flow shortage that you had to shore up individually. Yeah, we had to write a check back to the bank after coming off like this incredible high. Wow, wow. And, uh, yeah, lots of failures along the way. And, and the thing about failure is, you can break failure up. I mean, you guys have all seen failure. I mean, there's, there's personal failure, there's failure with relationships, there's failure with in sports, there's failures in things you do, there's failures in business, right? So, so there's lots of failures along the way. Um, these are the business failures, failures I'm talking about. So we should, I'm sure every one of us is familiar with failure in some way, shape or form and success because you, you're in this program. So therefore you have had success. You're already in the top, you know, 0.1% of Canadian students, right? Don't inflate, don't inflate oh, those. Sorry, sorry. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, take me back to 2001. So I tried to do a little digging here and, and it seemed like my read of it, maybe this is, you know, retrospective storytelling as we like to do, but sort of reading through the timeline of when you started the company, of course, I'm sure there were like inevitable ups and downs and ebbs and flows. But 2001, I saw something happen with the key charm cuties. And I noted that as maybe a potential first like commercial failure for the company that you write about on your website. What was that all about? Yeah, well, it was a failure. It was a small doll line. We, I mean, we did failures before then. This was a good one. Um, and uh, and so was we probably... It was our first foray into like a real, really competing against Mattel and Hasbro, the big players. And we developed a small doll line, spent a lot of money in tooling, a lot of design money, and it failed. So, I mean, listen, failure, again, I break it down because there's, you know, you can fail as a company, you can fail in a product line. I think failing in a product line is something we got used to pretty early because our the business we're in is a big bet business. And, you know, even if 
I'm amazing at my job. I think my odds of failure, I'm, I'm still only succeeding one out of every four times, really. Hmm. So we learned to failure. We learned to fail very early on, which I think was re- was a really good thing, um, because it wasn't like we'd had all this success time one you know one after the other after the other after the other, and uh, and then all of a sudden we failed ten years in and it sunk us. I mean we we learned pretty early on how to fail, um, which brings me to one of the lessons that that I'm you know that I've sort of learned along the way that I'm happy to share with you guys, which is you know, don't let your failures define you. And, um, and similarly, don't let your successes define you. Because failure and success at the end of the day, it's, it's very fleeting. I mean, even success is very fleeting. Uh, And it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes along the way. And so what you really have to get yourself into very quickly is, is, enjoying and appreciating the journey and not getting too married to your ideas, um, whether it's a product idea, a business idea, a marketing idea, whatever it is. I mean, you have to be flexible through the whole process, through your career. I mean, that doesn't mean you don't have conviction and, and see things through, but I think knowing when to jump off and knowing when to keep going is a skill for sure, right? So you have to keep keep checking the data, keep checking the facts in front of you, keep checking, keep checking your intuition, keep checking with others, um, keep doing your research, not too much, but enough that you're, you have all the data in front of you to allow you to make a reasonable decision. So Ben, you, you said one in four failed. Does that mean literally like one in four that actually make it out of the building and get onto the shelves? Are product failures? How, what no, do you mean by that? I'm, I'm guessing, but that's probably accurate. I would say one in four, sometimes we've had more. Sometimes we've had one in six, one in eight. Um, and then sometimes we've had two out of five fail, which, which brings me to another point, which is we, we at the beginning, the, the level of risk you take is gigantic, right? Because you've only got one product and then you launch another product. You're essentially launching your company over again in a way. So, so as you you always want to make sure you're not blowing your brains out if you don't have to. When you start, you have nothing to lose. You have no choice. You're, you've got the gun to your head, right? But as you start to gain success, a guy told me really early on at a, over a pastrami sandwich, he said to me, don't take a risk so big that you, if you're wrong, you'll sink the company. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten that. And there's a lot of truth. Now, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a rule I would take that could never be broken. There are times when you have to take a risk because the company's on the line, because if you don't take that risk, you won't be around. But I think as you start to gain success, I think the one thing we've done well is we've been pretty good at managing the company, preserving the company, failing in product, but not failing at the company. And when we do fail in the company, which even in the last two years, anyone that, that, that's watched our, you know, sort of kept an eye on us, even out of the corner of your eye, I mean, we fixed a whole bunch of mistakes in the last 12 months, right? I mean, we, we, uh, we got a new president and we came off a, a real operations nightmare that we had to fix. So even in the last, I mean, we went public in what, 2016, and then we had, I think four great years, something like that. And then we, we got to an, a, a giant operational problem, which did, you know, a year or two's worth of damage and we're, and we're still fixing that. Right. So it's, it's a lot better, but I mean, we're, we're dealing with it now. So 
you know, it, it, it's like you're, you know, you're flying a plane. Sometimes you hit, you hit uh, bad weather and you have to make changes accordingly. You have to take the wheel sometimes, right? You got to take it off autopilot and take the wheel and stay engaged and make hard decisions. Yeah. Uh, on the creative side, Ben, since uh, you oversee that group at the company, I'm assuming that you said the statistics are whatever, call it one in four, one in eight, whatever. There, there's there's yeah. failure that happens fairly regularly. Um, yep. Knowing that, it, I mean, it's not just you anymore. You've got close to 2000 people there. How do you get people to be comfortable to be comfortable with the idea that they're inevitably going to screw up? Like, how do you help people bounce back from that? It's a great question. I mean, again, uh, and I hate to get too granular, but there's, you know, when we fail, we fail as a team and we fail as individuals. And so you hope each person is, is looking at themselves and taking stock of their contribution and where they might've gone wrong. I think um, it's not easy. I mean, in a way it's like the best comparison would be to a hockey team or any type of team sports. I mean, you're managing a team um, and you have to make sure that your team is optimized. And so it's not easy because sometimes you gotta, you watch the team as a whole and you watch the individuals that make up the team as, as the person coaching the team. And so mm -hmm. sometimes it's necessary to make changes to have the best team. So, and you have to look at the strength of the company as a whole. It was a, it took me a lot of years to get there because in the early years, I tended to carry the weight on my own back. And I looked at it as like, failure was my failure. Success was my success. And, and if the team failed, I just had to work harder to carry the team more, right? Now that's a, an oversimplification, but let's just take it for the purpose of, of um, sort of your, you guys in your life and as you go on to man, I mean, it's more complicated than that because the teams contribute a lot, right? So for me to put it in that simple term isn't really accurate, but I think everyone, look, we're, we're individuals that make up teams. We're not teams that make up individuals, right? So we approach it as an individual and part of the larger team. So, and then I think as I got older, I realized if you don't have strong members on your team, that team will affect the company. So you have to have the strength to continually improve your team. You have to continually improve yourself. You have to have an open mind. You have to listen. You have to be, you have to learn to take, the first thing I do when we fail is I look at my own actions and I ask myself, where did I go wrong? Where did I fail? Where did I direct people badly? Where did I, you know, and then there's failure across the organization. Did we fail in the marketing? Did we fail in the product? Did we fail in the package? So identifying where was the failure? Could have been competition, could have been bad luck. So I think being able to identify the failure um, and, and to be honest, like as far as I try to speak positively to people and encourage them um, as much as possible and, and lean on the team um, because we are all working together. So, and I'm pretty even, I think, in success and failure. So I don't honestly put that much time into, you know, how do I put it? I'm a kind of move on type of guy. So I don't dwell that much on failure. And so I would say I don't take all that much time to nurture people on failure. I just mm -hmm. am like, okay, everybody get up. We're, we're moving on and we're going to do better next time. And at the same time, I have a responsibility to try to keep the team strong 
but also make sure I'm doing my job right, which is teaching the team. Um, because listen, I, I got 25 years, right? So I have, to, I have to shift a little bit towards teaching and making sure everybody is looking at things, um, taking into account all the, all, the, all the factors, right? Like if you guys came to work at Spin Master, you wouldn't have necessarily a ton of experience out of on day one. So I need to share that with you. But at the same time, I need to be open to your fresh thinking, right? So mm -hmm. I hope I answered that question. It's, it was, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, I know it. I know it's a hard one. That's why. That's why I ask the questions. Don't answer yeah. them myself. Yeah, I um, don't. I don't nurture that much, to be honest. I'm a more of a move on, buck up, everybody. Next one, you know, and that's we screwed that's up onto the next one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. So how do you how do you know? So something that we spent a lot of time on today before you came on was trying to figure out how you know when to call it and move on versus like no, let's keep going. Yep. Any advice? I mean, it could be specifically related to your business or more broadly, but that's the decision point, right? Like there's so many yeah. times the stories that you read of these successful companies, you yourself have one where had you chosen like screw it, throw in the towel, then you spin master wouldn't exist today uh, yeah. versus the people that are able to identify like, oh, we're so close, just go a little bit longer. And then there's these massive breakthroughs to, you know, super yeah. successful companies. So how do you decide when to keep going versus quitting? Well, I guess I'm looking at multiple factors. I mean, I'm looking at, do I think we'll be able to get there? And what is it that's holding us back? Is it money that's holding us back? Is it, um, is it design that's holding us back? Maybe we don't have the optimal design. Is it the cost that's holding us back? Is it a safety issue that's holding us back? So I think the first thing is, is again, great self-awareness and, and being and isolating what are the factors that are holding you back and then deciding can we overcome these or not. So like if it's a massive uh, economic one, right, like or financial one where if we just keep going, we're going to do so much damage that um, we have to stop. Well, that would be a great indicator that we have to stop or if the risk is so big that maybe we shouldn't be taking it because if we take it, it'll do too much damage or being honest about what kind of shot we have. Like, are we in our sweet spot? Are we out of our sweet spot? If we're out of our sweet spot, that's a factor, right? If we're more in our sweet spot, maybe we can afford to maybe have a greater chance to get this right. Or so it's so, so many different things. And the advice I would give is like being open-minded and honest with yourself about whether or not you can overcome it. And if you can overcome it, what's the, what's the success? And if I can overcome it, What's the damage from failure? Like one of, the, one of the simplest things that I do in almost every case is when someone says, let's do this product. I, in my mind as quickly, quite quickly, I say, if you're right, or if, if we're right and we go ahead and do this, what's success look like? And if we're wrong and we do this, what does failure look like? Right now, some things are more basic. Now we're, we're a lot bigger. So a lot of stuff falls in quite easily. But when we're doing something new or going into a new area or trying something, then I think, um, I mean, that's a, that's a question I ask myself always. And I keep asking myself that question. That's a, that's an awesome one. Like, so yeah. example, like, like, great yeah, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, give it, give an example. Well, I, I, I was going to say like, so like sometimes success isn't that great. So we're taking a risk and maybe we'll, we'll do 10 million in revenue, but we're, we're going to spend all this time and energy doing something for 10 million bucks in revenue and which, you know, I mean, it's no secret we do about 1.5 plus billion dollars a year or something in that neighborhood. I don't know. 
But um, so 10 million for a ton of work might not be worth it. And if we're wrong, we'll, we'll lose a million and a half dollars. Well, so sometimes, you know, there's like that saying, it's, it's like sometimes it's just as easy. You spend just as much time creating something that has $100 million worth of potential some, as something that has $10 million worth of potential. So that's, that's an equation I'll often do and, uh, and sort of make sure that we're putting our time to things that have high potential. Otherwise, we're wasting our time, especially as you get bigger and it costs more to run the company. Cool. It's, it's an exercise that I tried and then took out of one of the courses that I teach on new venture creation. Um, I had the, I had the teams write a press release. So fast forward two years and like, what's the press release you want to launch about the success that the company has had? Like, what have you done? What impact have you had? Um, and I, I found that it just got them to fast forward and say like, okay, let's play this out. We're running a, I don't know, a, a toy business two years down the road. What kind of impact do we want? How big do we want the company to be? What, what do we want that news article to say about us? And if that's not exciting, then choose something else. You know, like if that's not getting you fired up, then why take that risk in the first place? Oh, totally. And I mean, I, I think it's a good idea to do that at every stage in your life. Like for you guys going out and starting a business. One thing that I noticed when I was a kid that was like, I think it was wrong <laughs> when I look back is like someone would say, well, you're 24 years old and you have no money, so you should work and go earn a bit of money and then take a risk. And then when you're 32, they say, well, you, you don't have that much money. So you should like, you know, you should save up a little bit more money and then take a risk. Okay. So now you're 30, 38 and you got a car and, uh, and you probably bought one that was like one, one step above what you should have. And you got a wife and you got a kid on the way. And then they say, you can't take a risk now. You've got a family to think about. So, I mean, I think, you know, you got to own your own destiny and, and you have to, you guys are at the best dates to take a risk because unless you need tons of financial help, right? Which is obviously it's hard to get when you don't have any experience. Um, I mean, what have, what is Zuckerberg and uh, Bill Gates and uh, all these guys taught us that you can, you can come up with something amazing at, at 25 years old and, and uh, change the world. You know, any one of those great business people um, has shown us that, that you can do. Now, again, if you need tons of money and it's the oil business, well, that's probably a lot harder to do because it's, you need so much capital, right? So I think it's like, I think owning that and, and, and uh, being aware of it will help you guys use that exact same formula in your everyday decision-making, right? If you're 63 years old and a guy sits down and he says, I need your advice. I'm 63 years old and I want to start this company. I'd say, well, you're 60 years old. Is this what you want to do? How badly? What's the downside? You have to spend your retirement money. So, I mean, I think these are, this is a lesson that's a life lesson, not just a business lesson. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so Ben, there's, um, we, we also talked today a bit about the importance of having a mentor when you're either doing really hard things or to help you bounce back from a failure. I know um, in your keynote last year, you talked about, I think you had a really good relationship with Peter Monk. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we met with Peter Monk a couple of times and not just that, some of our old business professors, like when we started, we spoke to a lot of our business professors from Western I remember, you know, Professor Pierce helped us out. Professor Erskine helped us out. I mean, we spoke to, to uh, some of them as well. So, I mean, mentors, a mentor can come from anywhere. And Peter Monk was, was certainly one of them. I mean, he's an, he an incredible Canadian success story and a really interesting guy. Like they don't make him like 
He made it, he had success in three completely different industries, which is like almost unprecedented. I mean, and he started from scratch in every single one. Yeah. So for those uh, not that don't know, Peter Monk, uh, Canadian, Hungarian, Canadian business, really icon, um, who was, I guess, most well known as the founder of Barrick Gold, right? The biggest gold mine operation yeah. in the world. Yeah. But he got his start in stereos. He right. got his start in stereos. And then he made a ton of money in real estate in, I think, Asia. So he did a lot of, cre- he was a real, he was a real special man, a real character. You'll, you'll see his name on the side of the Toronto General, the cardiac monk, you know, the monk cardiac center. And I think also the Mart, the monk built, you know, state affairs, something, something affairs. I see it on Bloor Street at the University of Toronto. So he's like, he's a real character. So importance of, were there any mentors along the way that when you faced any of these, you know, company make or break decisions or challenges or even big failures that you leaned on to help coach you through them a little bit? Oh, I even asked our competitors for help. Huh. I called our competitor once at, at Mattel and, and um, someone I'd met at a conference and said, look, we're just starting out and I, I really love your help. And she helped me for a couple of years until we reached a certain size and then she didn't take my calls anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you know, I always say like, seek mentors and be a mentor, you know? So, I mean, the great thing is most people in Canada, you know, we're not starving and, and we can, and I, I always think like success is great when lots of people have success, right? It's, uh, so it's, I think it's great. So I, I would say to every one of you guys, seek mentors, be a mentor. And, uh, and it should never stop. I, I get advice from people all the time, even today, for sure. And never, it never, it should never change. I mean, I, I, I think now that I, I'm 50, I turned 50 this year. And, uh, and my big thing right now is like, never stop learning. Never stop learning, never stop learning and trying new things, right? What, so do, you do, what think, do you do to feed that? Uh, well, I, I always try to, I, music is one, and I, and I try to like stay up on all the latest synthesizers when I work with people. I love working like with maybe a young person who, like I worked with a young producer who was 19 this year, and he taught me a whole bunch of stuff that was super cool. And uh, I love working with young designers as well, right? Because they bring a perspective and I love challenging them and I love fighting with them and I love when they fight back. You know, it's like creative sometimes it's like uh, that scene in, in Lord of the Rings where they're putting, making the orcs, you know, and they're putting the armor on them. Like it's not a, it's not a clean process. It's not a beautiful process always. It's like a very tough, you know, you got to fight through it sometimes. But um, I think it's a lifelong journey to do that. And I think if you, the one thing I'd say to you guys, and I, I really like, I would trade, Peter Monk said this to us and I'll say it to you. He was 80 years old and he said to me, I would give anything to trade places with you guys so I could do it again. And it was really, it was a really beautiful moment. And, um, and, uh, and I think it was a really telling moment because you're always in such a rush, you know, we're always in such a rush. And, and when you guys are sitting here at 22 years old, whatever you are, you're just, you can't wait to get out there and you're so anxious to have success, right? Get out there and make something. And I think the, the biggest piece of advice I could give is to really learn to appreciate the journey. And, um, and even failure, there's so many lessons in failure and, and it sucks to fail um, for sure. But I think like it really is 
failure is a moment and success is really just a moment too. And, um, and it's, and, and you know, that famous saying, it's like, what have you done for me lately? Well, it's kind of true. Right. So I think like, you got to be like that with yourself. Right. And you have to, you have to just keep pushing forward no matter what happens, whether it's, and that doesn't mean stupidly, right? Like, and, and the other thing I'll add, which I think is a huge part of, there's so many reasons people fail and succeed. And a lot of them are outside of our control. I mean, you take the pandemic and, and it's very interesting because it's like, there's lots of different ways to look at what we're living through right now. You can take a very negative view and, and indeed, if you have a family member that's gotten really sick or you had a business that was decimated by, by the pandemic, it's very reasonable and to take a, a very negative view. Um, and I wouldn't fault anyone for doing that. But if we step back from that for one second and we take a look at if you were born in 1900, what would it look like? You would have lived through the First World War the first pandemic, which was way worse than so far what we've had to endure because 50 million people died. You would have lived through the Second World War. You would have lived through the Great Depression. So the fact of the matter is we've had 70 years of relative calm in the West, right? I'm not, I mean, not if you lived in Cambodia, but if you lived in the West. So I think it's like, you know, learning to um, keep going and and just somehow, sometimes you just can appreciate one thing. You just, if you're healthy, just start there and then just keep going, you know, and keep trying and keep going. And, and the one thing I would say is the other really important part of that is, is that out of every tough time lies the potential for success. And I think like, it's going to be so interesting to see the next five or 10 years because Humanity won't stop and we'll see some really cool things happen, I think, like really cool things. And, um, and the thing I would say to you guys in wrapping up this statement is that one of the most, most, most important things is knowing your strengths and your weaknesses as a person and being really open with yourselves about that. And uh, let me tell you something. I remember interviewing at Bain and interviewing at those finance companies when I was at, when I was at the Western Business School at Ivy. And, um, and, uh, and I knew one thing, even at that time, I knew it. And I knew, and what it was I knew is that I wasn't going to be the best finance guy. And so like, I probably could have duped them and maybe gotten a job, but I knew it wasn't the right thing for me to do. I knew in my heart, it wasn't the right thing for me to do. And so I think like knowing your strengths and your weaknesses is really, really important and being aware of those. And, um, and by the way, failing at something doesn't mean you're not potentially good at it. So you gotta, right? But having the self-awareness to know that I think is really, really important. And it's, it's one of the hallmarks I think of, of becoming successful in your life. Forget a business venture or, one thing because that stuff comes and goes but you know and so that's where partnerships come in right and bringing a partner in to help you and and I got to tell you like I've uh I've had so many of those moments over the years where I was like am I really good at this am I not and having and and having that discussion over and over and over again and then if you're not knowing that and bringing in the help right so if you're not a great finance person, bring in a great CEO you trust. 
if you're, and when you choose your partner, one of the biggest mistakes we sometimes make is choosing someone who's exactly like us, right? And avoiding the fight, right? And it ain't easy. And there's, it is, I'll tell you, a real ride. But it also, if you learn to embrace it on some level, it also hopefully takes you, you can get something great out of it. That's awesome. Um, Ben, I want to come back to a point because we've had a few few speaker, a few guests and um, talking about who have had some success in a bunch of different ways. One of them being one dimension of that being financially. Yeah. And the criticism is easy for them to say, you know, they're whatever they've achieved this level of personal success. So there's this conversation around um, or the, the anecdote is always like, you know, uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the journey. The money doesn't matter. Um, I would I, trade places. I, yeah. For the record, I never said that the money doesn't matter. Cause I think it's not a, a good thing to say that. Okay. Um, only people with money can say the money doesn't matter. <laughs> I agree. So let's, I want to tease this out because I think this is like a, a, a thread that's been pulled at, but the yeah. students aren't happy with some of the answers that we've been yeah. trying to work through. So like I'm looking, I would just did my homework this morning. So, um, your spin master, like $3 billion company. I was just like, by comparison, right. You are bigger than Cineplex, Chorus Entertainment and Sleep Country Canada combined. Like, I mean, these are significant Canadian companies, right? You're bigger than Afria, Aritzia, Maple Leaf but, Foods. Uh, by, by, what's that? What's that? 3 billion is, but that's, we don't do that in sales. Is that enterprise market, value? What market, market cap. Mark, yeah. Okay. Got market it. Cap, but market but cap. it's so great. We're in that company because we can see a movie and then we can take an amazing nap and it's, that's great company. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're in, you're in, uh, like, I mean, these are, these are massive, uh, names across the country and, uh, you're a significant shareholder in that. And so would you like, would you trade literally, would you trade where you are today with the people that are in the class? No, but, but, it, but that's not a money thing. That's a, I'm tired thing a little bit. Okay. <laughs> that's an, I'm tired thing. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not a money thing. Listen, I've, yeah, listen, that's a really, that's a deep it's question, tough. guys. It's yeah, deep. We'd have to I know. Get, we'd all have to get into one of those sleep country beds to talk about that. I mean, <laughs> I'm a, you know, I have to say, sometimes when I look at the journey you guys have, it feels tougher to me because there was less pressure back then. And I, I wouldn't want to have to go through that. Um, like I'll tell you guys, this is very deep. Hold on. Let me just look, make sure no one can hear me, but, um, you know, my kids, they're six and eight. And, um, they said to me, daddy, what was life like when you were little? And in my head, I thought, well, it was way better, (laughs) but I couldn't say that. So I said, it's way better. And then I realized it was, I was speaking out loud by accident. (laughs) Um, and that, and the reason it was way better is because like, I just drank Coke and ate candy you know, and like played outside. I think there's so much pressure on, on all of you guys. And, and I think it's, I think it's not right. And I think it's not necessary. And I think like, and life was so simple then. And, and, and there was less divisiveness in the world. There was less, um, you know, like all you did, like, I don't think I opened a book till I was 14, really, you know, like I just, I really just had fun for the first 16 years of my life. And then I was like, oh man, I got to get in university. 
you know, so it was like, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun and I didn't have to think about the stuff that you got. And even coming out of school, like it wasn't as competitive and it wasn't as, you know, and I didn't think about it as much. And the expectations that I had on myself weren't that high either, to be honest. My father used to always point at the gas station and say, that's where you're going to be working. So I was like, my standards were so low that I didn't really... I didn't have that. Like, I never dreamed about being rich, mm. right? So it was kind of a shock when I had a few bucks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I will tell you, it's good to have money. So I'm not going to make the statement that it's not. But I will tell you, you buy a few things and it gives you peace of mind. And then you realize you like, it's not really like what drives, like for me, I just buy instruments, right? So, I mean, I'm, I buy like, you know, creative tools, so I don't want to make it sound like, like money isn't great. You know, like I've, I've bought, you know, um, I've done that stuff and, and I spent money, but it does kind of, and also even in the world today, guys, like, you know, yourself, um, people don't love rich people. Like, like rich people are like, kind of like in people's crosshairs. So, and I mean, even when I was a kid, my father used to say to me, um, the world isn't a better place if there are people standing at your door with pitchforks. So, you know, I think it's great to have money because it gives you peace of mind and it's great to buy nice things, you know? And um, so, you know, I'm happy if, if you want to have like a lifestyles of the rich and famous conversation, you know, I can, I can, I can tell you a couple of fun things, but, but it, it kind of like, it doesn't really define you. It's just a nice thing that came along the way mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but it wasn't like something I really dreamed about. I, it wasn't my impetus for doing what I do. I didn't even think it at the time because mm-hmm. it just wasn't like today, right? It wasn't, and there weren't any Zuckerbergs or like, or, or Amazons or like, or Zooms or any of these, oh, 3 billion, 5 billion, 50 billion. Like it didn't really, the world wasn't really like that. Mm-hmm. Right. We were just happy to be in the game. You know, when we started, there was, you know, one of our biggest, biggest discussions was, do we go into the U.S.? And at that time, there was two big Canadian toy companies, Irwin Toy, who some of you may know, they were like Canada's most famous toy company for 50 years. Um, And then there was uh, Canada Games. And, um, you know, they were really distributors of of U.S. companies products. And the only way we could survive was to do our own products. And we didn't even really understand that. I can only say that in retrospect. But the bottom line is after Earth Buddy, we had no choice but to go out and just start making toys. It just, we didn't plan it. It just happened that way. And even then we were saying, well, maybe we should open a chicken restaurant or do this or do that. Like there wasn't really a plan. It was just sort of come up with something. So uh, is that uh, a fair answer? I really, yeah, I, I yeah. moved look, around, but like, look, challenge, I, uh, I welcome anybody to challenge me. If you don't like the answer, here's your first lesson in business. Say something. If yeah, you don't they, like my they, answer, unmute yourself and tell me. Oh, it's coming, Ben. I'm sure I'm, we have a channel up yeah, here. I know I should um, be careful what I say, right? We have a channel up here with a bunch of guest questions. So the ones that get upvoted the most are going to get asked. So those are coming All in right, two yeah. minutes. So get, get ready. I think it's Sam, time. Sam, who's going to moderate. Um, some rapid fire ones for you, Ben, before we transition to, uh, to student questions. Um, was there a moment or what was the moment in your, in your career where you felt like you made it? Bakugan. Bakugan was when, was when 
we made enough money that like personally you could feel like, okay, I'm not, I'm doing good. Hmm. I'm doing good. So I, so we started in when we start, I was 24 when we started. And so when we had that moment, I was 37. So it was 13, 14 years. I was 37, 38. It was 14 years, 13, 14 years after we started. It was a great saying this builder told, uh, told to me, a successful Canadian builder. I don't remember his name. He told me on a plane. He told me it took him 20 years to have his overnight success. So just remember that. It doesn't, it rarely happens quick. And sometimes when it happens quick, that's a bad thing, right? Because you think it's always going to be like that, right? So, I mean, we were, you know, we, we bashed around for 13 years before we, we had real success. So that's, uh, even that's after one. the, even after the 1.8 million, I'll tell you what I walked out with after earth buddy, I walked out yeah. with about 200 grand. That's a pretty so good it, first so side hustle. It is, but I guarantee a lot of you will come out of business school and, and make a hundred, a hundred to 150 grand in your first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it was, it wasn't right when I got out, it was two years after. So whatever. I mean, the bottom line is we didn't get rich on, on earth buddy even I certainly didn't even at that time. Right. So it was like, it was good. It was great. It convinced my father, I wouldn't be working at the gas station, but, but I mean, it wasn't enough to retire on. And I lived in an apartment with three roommates till I was 30. And I lived in another apartment till I was 35 and I didn't buy my own first home till I was 36 years old. Wow. Any regrets, Ben? Not really. No regrets. Wow. What a great thing to be able to say. Yeah. No regrets. Listen, I, uh, I, I, you know, and I've done better than I ever dreamed I would do. So I, so I, and I did my best and, uh, and I, I do feel very fortunate that I found something that, that I, um, that I really enjoy. Like I really love making toys and it's, and it's, and I can, and I know how to make a toy. Right. Um, and so that's really cool. Like I, I've never, it took me, it was funny because I, I, I didn't know what to call myself for the first 25 years. And I got really excited last year when I figured it out because, you know, you have to put it on like your customs form. And I put down toy maker and it was like a big moment for me, you know, because like I never thought of myself as a toy maker, but that's what I do for a living. So that was a really happy moment for me. And you're uh, world-class at it. So that that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, any advice to your younger, HBA2 Ben, he's sitting in front of you. Any advice to HBA2 Ben? HBA2, where is he? Shake, uh, move around a little. HBA2, oh, there he is. H- oh, there they are. Okay, fine. Any advice to HBA? Yeah, know your strengths and weaknesses. Hmm. That's the number one thing. Like, let me tell you, not everybody should be an entrepreneur. It's a really harsh thing to say, but how many entrepreneurs make it? The fact hmm. of the matter is very few, hmm. very few. 1%, right? So, um, not everybody should be an entrepreneur, but there's lots of ways to cut the cake. So maybe it's joining a small company that's already started where you can get a lot of shares and, t- and take your strengths that you're great at and help them. Maybe mm-hmm. it's buying a company that's up and running at some point in time. Maybe it's going in with a bunch of people and buying a company. Or t- So you, again, like knowing your strengths and weaknesses is so key. If you do that, I believe like it will give you a much greater chance of all the other things that need to happen um, to have success. Great advice. Last one before we turn it over to release the hounds. Um, 
uh, can we be helpful to you at all, Ben? Is there anything that this group of students or, you know, uh, call it five, 10,000 people who listen to the episodes, how can we be helpful for you? I don't know. It's, I, I don't have a good answer, you know, and I don't want to say something like that sounds phony. So I don't, I don't have a good answer. That's go okay. Reach your, go reach your full potential. That's what you should do. Inspirational. You know, and, and don't worry about anyone else. It's time to be, this is a good time in your life to be selfish, you know, like it's about you, you know, nice. Bert, Bert Wood gave me, gave our class amazing advice. I'll never forget it. This is the best thing. He, I, I didn't hear a word he said all year, but I heard this. He <laughs> said, the time has come in your life for you to stop working on your weaknesses and focus on your strengths. And he said, your whole life, you're, you're not good at math. They tell you to go, go practice your math or you're not good in, in English. So they tell you to go practice your spelling or, you know, you don't know how to hit a basketball net. So you got to go practice your free throw. He said, the time has come in your life when you need to take your strengths and go focus on making them stronger. And I thought that was like world-class advice that he gave. And, and I think you guys should go out, be selfish and, uh, and reach your full potential, whatever that is for you, right? No one else can define that. Only you can define that. And, and you don't have to answer to anybody on that. You know, that's a, that's a you decision. And, you, you know, you guys are the future because you've gotten into one of the best programs. And I can tell you, I face people from Harvard. I face people from Stan Stanford, all the best business schools on the planet. And, uh, and we hold our own 100%, 100%. So, so I think like, you guys have uh, already started an amazing journey. Ben, thank you so, so much for, for your time. We appreciate it. I You're think welcome. the group that introduced you uh, wanted to wrap it up. So I'll turn it over to them. Okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Ben, for taking the time today. We're really super fortunate to have leaders like you here. We all really appreciate it. Um, but on behalf of the class, to show our gratitude, we've made a $40 donation in your name to Toys for Tots Canada, which is a charity focused on providing toys to Canadian children in need. So thanks again. We really appreciate it. You're so welcome, guys. I, I can't tell you. I guarantee I enjoyed it more than you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Take care. Good luck. Thanks. The Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Quantum Shift 2008 alum Connie Clarici and Closing the Gap Healthcare Group. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player or visit entrepreneurship.uwo.ca slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.